0: Good morning, good to see so many of you with us this morning, Um, and good morning to those watching online as well. Um, The psalmist writes and we read, the psalmist sings and we pray, come let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. As we gather to, to worship together this morning, I'm reminded of how in worship we're invited by God. You know, a lot of times we think we get up to come to church. But in worship, we're invited by God and we're invited together. So whether you drove in the car by yourself or with a full car, um, whether you're watching by yourself, or you're watching with your family, when we come to worship, we come together. This beautiful reminder that we're not just a, a group of individuals, we're a collective, we're one, we're a family, worshiping our God together. So it is our prayer and our hope this morning that as we sing, as we think, as we focus now on scripture, as we pray, that we are doing it together, that we're bowing down in submission to God. Why? Because this God of the universe is ours, all of of ours, and we are the people, the sheep under his care and pasture. We're continuing our, our, our sermon series on James, living out our faith. We're actually at the final curve, maybe the, the, the final lap, if you will. Um, next week, I believe it's the last week in this James series. So throughout the series of James, we've been asking this common question, but what does life in Christ actually look like? You know, we said this is the question you're going to have hopefully for your lifetime. This is something that we hope that every day that you wake up, that you're asking yourself, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does life in Christ look like? And then for James, again, it's going to be what? It's going to be known in your head, it's going to be felt in your heart, but you got to live it with your hands. It's got to be practical. So when we get to this passage in James chapter 5, it's very interesting. You know, a lot of times you read scripture, at least when I read scripture, I get fired up, right? But if you haven't read the first six verses of James, you'll see why I had a little bit of trepidation, because James doesn't mince words here, right? Like what James has to say, it forces you to sit up. So if you're watching at home or you're kind of awake, I guarantee you James is going to wake you up reading these six verses. Now, the theme is, yeah, your faith must show up and believes life and practice. But as you listen to this, I think there's, there's two things that significant about these six verses of James. The first one, the echo, right, what reverberates or what might be in the background of your thinking in your mind. Might be Jesus's idea of where is your treasure? What are you working for? What are you storing up? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But more than the echo is that James is actually, I believe, quoting Jesus here. Because we'll also look at the end of the sermon, a passage in Luke chapter 6, where you're like, oh, that's where he gets it from. His brother said the same thing. So with all that in mind, let's turn to James chapter 5. We'll have it for you up front. I'll be reading the first six six verses. And again, I promise you, it'll wake you up. Starting at verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I think Dante got inspiration from this passage. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Some translation says the God of hosts, the God of the armies of angels. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. With that said, let's pray. Father my God we thank you so much for the blessing of your word for the challenge of your word. God we pray that as we listen that we are not only listening with our ears but opening up our hearts and opening up our lives. Lord we pray that not only can we say what do you have to say to us or what do you have to say to me but God let us hear you clearly. Spirit lead us, move us, guide us. Jesus open our eyes. Father hold us. Help us to be challenged. Yes. But help us to know what it means to follow you, what it means to depend on you, what it means to store our treasure, not on earth, but in heaven, what it means to submit to you, what it means to truly, truly live and love like your son has lived and loved. Holy Spirit, be with us, stay with us, hold us, lead us. Father God, we thank you, we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen? So in this chapter, James is saying, you know, We are going to now talk about the rich rich. In our last chapter, he was talking about the merchants, and he was talking to a specific class of people who would set up shop from town to town. And the message there is simply, you know, I need you to to not make your plans apart from God. I need you to to know your limitations because life is but a vapor. It's a breath that's going to go away. I need you to focus on who God is and to trust God because you need to trust God for your own good. You need to trust God because God's the only thing you can rely on. You need to depend on God because here's the thing, you can't even depend on yourselves. You can't depend on your mind. You can't depend on your riches. You can't depend on people around you as much as you can depend on God. Live for the kingdom, not the world, not yourself. And now he's going to change it to say, but here's the thing. There's even more of you who need to be reminded that God has helped us to bless and not oppress. To serve and not to steal, to give and not to take. This week, James moves from listen, I'm speaking to the merchants, so I'm gonna speak to you, super rich. And how I'm gonna speak for you is gonna be loud and clear. Judgment is coming for those who are blessed, but who are living to oppress. Judgment is coming for those who are blessed for our living to oppress. Now, this isn't a sermon or or passage that's just against the rich, right? Jesus counted rich people among his followers, Zacchaeus. Joseph of Arimathea, uh, I almost said arithmetic. I was trying so hard not to say arithmetic that I said arithmetic, right? Joseph of Arimathea, right? Who, who gives Jesus the, the tomb that Jesus' body lays in. We know that's women who actually supported the ministry of the disciples. As a kid, I was wondering around, like, how they all quit their jobs and just follow Jesus? How to eat? You know, like, I love Jesus and we're going to follow him for three years, but like, you got to think about this practically. Who supported them? Rich women right? So it's not that Jesus is, or James even in this passage is saying, you're rich, you're going to hell. But it is a reminder, remember what Jesus says about the camel going through the eye of the needle, right? That our wealth, that what we have, right? And sometimes we're honest, what has us can truly make it harder for us to enter into the kingdom. And for all of us, what does Timothy call the root of all evil, the root of all sin? The pursuit of of money, or wealth. So this isn't just a simple like, we're gonna, we're gonna curse all the rich, we're gonna eat all the rich, although some of us might want to. But this is a call and a reminder that those of us who are blessed are supposed to be a blessing. That those of us who have are supposed to give. And that those of us who live and live in Jesus' name are supposed to serve and not steal. And so James is writing, I believe, specifically to a group of people that's going to get more and more clear as we go through this passage. But I think the challenge to all of us, remember weeks ago we're in James, we said, how do we even define the rich? So the challenge to all of us is to realize that, yes, even us sitting this morning compared to the rest of the world are rich. If you have food in your refrigerator, if you even have a refrigerator, if you have a, a, a shelter over your head, you have drinking water, you have at least one person you know that loves you, you're probably in the richest 1% of the world today if you have all those things. Or I'll even give you three of those things. So while James is specifically talking to these landowners, and we'll find out later, these Sadducees, but I think he's also talking to us. Because the overall message is that those who are blessed with all these things, how are you using it? Because if you're not using it for one another, for the other, judgment is coming. But to this passage, he starts specifically on these rich landowners who profit from the toil of serfs and slaves. I love passages like this, because we read it in the New Testament, we're like, I can't even relate to this, and I'm like, "Have you ever heard of a country named America?" Have you ever heard of a country that's built on the back of slaves? Have you ever lived in a country where your benefits are all based on the fact that we stole land from people who owned it, who were here? So we don't have to use our imagination. Or maybe you do because you've never heard of this America country, right? But for those of you who've heard it, you don't have to use the imagination. But the rest of you, use your imagination, right? James is speaking to people who are living in a land and profiting off the toil of enslaving one another, of indenturing one another, of actually cheating. We might just call it capitalism, right? Uh, of making it about profit and not people. That's who he's speaking to, Right? And I think the generation before me, you know, did a good job of critiquing socialism. But I think our generation needs to kind of shed the light on this thing called capitalism. Because capitalism is not Christianity. It's hard to find a capitalistic basis of Christianity. Jesus himself came and says, I want Jubilee. Forgive all the debts. Right? I want you to actually live for other people. And some might say when Jesus went into the temple to clean it out, he was speaking to this same group who was profiting off the sacrifices of the people. So while we do well to critique socialism, may we never forget that in this capitalistic society where we put profits over people, where the clothes we wear might cost a child his life, where the food we eat might not be available for the person who helps make it, May we do well to remember that our Jesus is not a capitalist, that our Jesus is not an American, and that our faith is communal and our work should be for each other. So these rich landowners who profit from the toil of enslaved prove to us that the feudalism, feudalism system they didn't just believe when we started writing about it feudalism was in Rome it was alive and well and not only was it in Rome it was even among the Jews God's people that even among them they had set up this tiered system and you don't see it a lot in Roman literature not because it doesn't exist because Rome liked to talk about their cities but do you know only about 10 percent of the entire Roman Empire was actually urban to put that into context we believe that right now 83% of America lives in what we, would exa- what we would call urban areas. So we are eight times and more and rising more urban than the Roman Empire. So that's why, like, they only talked about their city, so you don't realize that in this system they set up, very much like ours, people were enslaved. People were for profit. And people were for the super rich. Now, mostly in our society... You know, we don't think about it because we elevate the super rich, right? Even in our Christianity, we look at people's riches as a blessing, as a sign of favor from God. Except when recession comes in 2008, then we're like, well, this is bad now. We can't bail them out this time. But the thing is, we're living in this society and this culture that's very much like Rome, where the system is set up for the rich to get richer on the backs of the poor, So when James is writing, he's writing to a captive audience. They don't have to use their imagination like you do about America, right? Like, they don't have to use their imagination to look around and be like, our country is actually built on the back of enslaved people. Our country is actually built on the back of killing people. Our country is actually built on the back of taking land that wasn't ours. You got to use your imagination for all that. They do not. This was a captive audience who knew that everything they saw was built on the backs of stealing and killing and raping and looting. This was the Roman Empire. But worse than that, this was the same system that God's people, the Jews, and in our country, the Christians, this was the same system that they were living to keep up. James is speaking to a captive audience. And to James, this warning was not heeded. Because a couple years down the line, the poor people finally were fed up, and they weren't Anabaptists like we were. So they revolted. And when they revolted, it wasn't just against Rome. It was against the Jewish leaders who built their richness, or built their richness off of their backs too. So this is the framework that James is working in. James is speaking to a people and to a rich class that has actually profited off the toil of enslaved. He's preaching to a people who are actually profiting off of people instead of actually building with people. And so when James is warning the merchants, it's like, I need you to trust God. Always. Depend on God. Always. And now when he moves to the rich, it's not just warning, it's woe. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who laugh in luxury for the day of weeping and wailing has come. War to you who live in luxury, for misery has come. You have to understand when James speaks of the last days, he's not just talking, oh, in the last days, Jesus is coming back again. No, for James, his brother Jesus has ushered in the kingdom. And if the kingdom of God has been ushered, we are indeed in the last days. Christians have gotten this wrong. We hear last days, we're like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come. That's what I'm supposed to do. No, 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 no. The last days means the kingdom is here. And yes, Jesus can come at any moment. That's not your business. That's not even Jesus's business. Scripture says what? Jesus doesn't even know. So if Jesus doesn't know, and he's doing his work of making heaven perfect for you, what is your job? To sit and wait for the kingdom or to actually work for the kingdom? If this is the last days, like James believed... That we need to stop uplifting these super rich. We need to stop uplifting the blessing of wealth as if it's something that won't end in rot, right? In that culture, one of the most fascinating things is that most people only had one outfit, and you don't have to go that far even in our culture, in our country, to a day and a time, maybe a hundred years ago, where most people had one or two outfits, right? There's a reason why we call it Sunday best, because <laughs> Monday to Saturday, you wore something else, the same thing else, right? And on Sunday, you get all dressed up when your Sunday's best. It's not that far in our own culture where people only had one outfit, most of us, me included, Right? Like, my wife does this thing where she likes to steal my shirts and give them away, right? And I'm just like, I don't understand this. I've had this T-shirt since seventh grade, right? That's one of the the longest relationships I've ever had, and you just felt the need to Marie Kondo and get rid of it without my permission. I'm working on it, but it hurts every time. But the point I'm making here is in that culture, to even have clothes, right, with an S, (laughs) meant you were rich and privileged. And that's not something we think about because there's still people in the world who live like we did 100, 200 years ago. There's still people who only have one outfit. And some of us, we get up in the morning and I don't like how I look. I change, right, to my next outfit. Or if you're blessed like my children, you wear four or five outfits a day and I'm just like, why, laundry? (laughs) But we don't have to look that far in history or even in our own families to know that what James is saying is like, when he says your wealth will rot, And your clothes will be moth eaten, and your gold and silver will be corroded. James is speaking to a people who I think we can relate to because we're more wealthy than these Christians ever will be. We have more clothes than most Christians in the world have. We have more resources, right? One of the reasons I think Christianity needs to come alive again in the West is because we have the resources. If you look at it historically, or if you look at it by numbers, we don't have the people. Like I love when we as western Christians like left to say like this is what Christianity is. We don't even have the people. Most of the church right now is where? In the global south. Africa, Central America, South America, Asia, we don't even know. We don't even know how many Christians are in Asia because we don't know how to count because for them to step out and say I'm Christian is to mean death. We have the resources. But the thing that James says here is that for the rich, what you accumulate is a testament of your wealth. But how he flips it on the head, it says, But what you've accumulated that testifies of your that, that's a testament to your wealth will actually be what's used to testify against you. You may say, I'm a billionaire. God will say, Well, how did you make that billion? You may say, I built a house bigger than my parents. And God will say, well, well, what did you do to get the house that's bigger than your parents? You may say that, then I'm an American. And God will say, but what does that even mean in light of your Christianity? right? We have accumulation and we look at how much we have as a status builder. And James says, no, 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 no. What you have will actually be the testimony against you about how you lived. So did you live to consume and hold? Or did you live to serve and give? Because the injustice that you've been carrying out, right? So for them, it was this feudal system where the rich are getting richer on the backs of the poor. It was this feudal system where they were cheating people out of living wages. It was this feudal system where people didn't have their daily bread. Think about that for a second, right? Not only were these people super rich, but they would withhold payment on people for an extra day of interest payments, and those people couldn't eat. They wouldn't buy bread. They wouldn't be able to feed their families. But you know what? They would get an extra day of interest. And it's it's this thing where, and I love what James uh, says here, right? Because it cries out to the Lord Almighty. James is appealing not just to the injustice of the rich, not just to people who are profiting off the backs of one another, not just to to, to this idea that the poor are going to cry out, but the idea that they're going to cry out. And who's going to hear them isn't the rich, is the Lord God Almighty, the ruler of heaven and earth, the commander of the armies of heaven. That's who's on their side. And I love this, right? James has this line in here where he talks about you have lied, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves as in the day of slaughter. Fatten calves, right? There's this picture of of these rich people who are just fattening themselves up with all the good of this world, right? With all the food and the riches and the privilege, they're just fattening themselves up, right? And James says, I love that you're fattening yourself up because those are the best calves for the slaughter. And if you stop and think about it for a second, you realize that James is saying, you think you're fattening yourself up and you're moving up in privilege and power and possession, but really, You're just preparing yourself for God's judgment. The more you live for you, the closer you are to God's judgment. The more you are Lord, Jesus is not. The more you live to accumulate for you and even you and yours, for those of us who are a little bit gracious to let other people in, right? For you and yours, the further you are from living for God's kingdom. And in that last line, James seems to think, that oppression of the poor is murder. And he's speaking of a specific murder, but I want us to sit with this for a second. James seems to think that when we oppress those who are disadvantaged, those who are marginalized, those who are on the outside, that's akin to murder. Now, some of you might be like, I don't know if that's true, Jesus says, if you even think bad about someone, that's murder, (laughs) right? Like, James actually gave you a little bit of space. James like, okay, fine, if you oppress them, that's murder. Jesus says, if you even think of them and say they're an idiot, or you say, like, they must be brainless, that is murder. James says, no, 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 if you're actively oppressing the poor, building your backs off the poor, you are committing murder. Now, I know for us, this might seem like really, really harsh, right? You read through these six, it's hard to read these six verses and be like, yes, I feel great. Just excited about the day. Love the word that God has for me today. But we have to know that what James is steeped in here is the Old Testament tradition of the prophets like Joel and Micah who begin their scriptures. Why? Calling the people to weep and wail for the judgment that was coming because of the oppression they were living in or the oppression they were doing. In fact, Old Testament law from Moses to the prophets, right, forbade withholding wages. So a lot of people focus on how, like, Jewish people aren't supposed to give interest, right? That's not for a 30-year mortgage. They weren't thinking about 30-year mortgage. They were thinking about daily interest rates. God didn't want people holding wages from the poor to get better interest for two, three days because he knew in two, three days the poor could die. He forbid it, so so, so there's people who needed money because to withhold one day meant they would die, but the rich just didn't care, and they hadn't cared for generations upon generations upon generations. But who James is speaking like isn't just like Micah or Joel or Moses. It's also like his brother Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. This is what Jesus had to say. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of me the son of man rejoice in that day leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets that makes you feel good well how about this one the same Jesus we love says but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fell wed now. Well, uh, woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. James in this passage is channeling Jesus. James is quoting Jesus, who said, Blessed are you if you're poor. Blessed are you because you will be rich. Blessed are you if you're hungry because you will be fed. Blessed are you who weep for you will laugh. Blessed are you who are hated for you are beloved. Blessed are you who are rejected for I accept you. James' words here, and I think the epistle must also be read in this light. And I think everything is building up to this. James is specifically calling out the super-rich among God's people. James is calling out the Sadducees because James believed that they're the ones who killed his brother, Jesus. And if you read the last verse in that light, it says, you rich Sadducees have not only done all these things, but you have condemned and murdered the innocent one, Jesus who was not opposing you. They killed Jesus. They lived off the sacrifices of the poor people. They manipulated for their own good. They got rich off the backs of people. They sacrificed their faith for peace at all costs with Rome. And so if we kind of step back and say, well, how are we living for ourselves, How are we keeping the peace of America, or the the, the, the vision of America, or for some of us, the Constitution of America, or the dreams of America? How are we fighting to hold on to all of this and actually losing our faith in the process? James says this, and we hold on to this because not only did James going after the rich, are taking advantage of the poor not only does James believe that leads to Jesus's death but church history tells us what that also leads to James's death and so this great epistle that we hold on and say it's so practical right it's so practical it's so hands-on let's live out our faith for James he did it unto death for James calling out people who are marginalizing, taking advantage of, and getting wealthy off of, led to his own death, and he still said it. James risked his life and was martyred to remind us that we are not to live for ourselves, that we are not to profit off of one another, that we are not to to laugh and, and live in our luxury at the expense of our sisters and brothers. That if we are like the rich oppressors, we're closer to God's judgment. And that's the true warning of this passage, right? Is that God's judgment is ultimately coming for all. It's ultimately coming for all. And when I was a kid, that terrified me, right? Because I was like, well, I don't really want the God of all these armies and angels to be against me, right? But I don't want to scare you this morning but I do want to open your eyes this morning and motivate you this morning and challenge you this morning to say, what are you living for? Because every one of us will have to give account to God. And God's not going to care about what we have, but he might care about what we give. God's not going to care about your bank account and your education and, and how many people you know. And, 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 but he is going to care about what you did with the blessings that he gave you. Did you use them to bless? God's gonna care that when you saw oppression, and yes, we can't all stop all the oppression, but you can do something. And when you see oppression, God's gonna care about what did you do to end this oppression? Because what we have is never what lasts. That's the message of the prophets. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of James. If you have gold and silver, it will rot. Or for us, the stock market, it may crash. If you have clothes, they will go out of style. Or they won't fit anymore for some of us, which is, we got that's an existential crisis, but that's another talk, right? If you have, if your life is only based on what you have, right? The wealth will rot, the clothes will, will, will be eaten, the gold and silver will be destroyed, right? If life is only about what you have, remember, it's not what lasts. What we hold on to, though, is what's going to testify of this life that we lived. And so for so many of us, we think that comes at the end. And that's tricky because most of us don't know when the end is. Right? Most of us are thinking about legacy at the end. But according to James, before you even get to the end, what are you holding on to now that testifies the person you are? What are you holding on to now that shows you belong to Jesus? What are you holding on to now that's a legacy for those around you, not just family, not just friends, but for your world to see that you belong to the kingdom and you're working for the kingdom? It's not just about those of us who think the end is near. It's for all of us. What are we holding on that testifies that we belong to God? For James, justice that's carried out is what makes us like our God. Injustice and privilege makes us good Romans, makes us good Americans. But it's only justice for the poor. It's only living for one another. It's only using our gifts, our skills, our abilities for God and God's kingdom and for God's people. That's what makes us like our Jesus. And I love this because the fattened calf reference is actually from the story of the two sons, right? The story of the two lost sons, right? When, when, the, when, when, when it said that, go get the fattened calf, or, or you never fattened calf for me to celebrate, right? And I thought about this because James is actually saying, yeah, y'all fattening yourself up for the slaughter. But I wish and I hope and I pray that what we're building together, It's us fattening the calf to celebrate together. And what I mean by that is simply this, right? If we're all joining together as family, as one, if we're all taking the gifts that God's blessed us with, if we're all working for the kingdom, that's worth celebrating. But the calf is only made fatter with you and you and you. And I don't know about you. I'm not a vegetarian or vegan. I like meat. I like good meat, I like delicious meat, I like big meat, I like chunky meat, right? And when I get to heaven, the worst thing that I can do with God is like, here's your Brussels sprouts. (laughs) And some of you are just like, this is great, Brussels sprouts. You've just not had my Brussels sprouts. No one should have your Brussels sprouts. I digress. But if we want to truly celebrate in heaven, then we must live for heaven today. If injustice and oppression is murder, then justice and working for each other is life. Amen? Our world has all the different ways that they define what it means to be wealthy and rich. How does your God define wealthy and rich? Is what you do for the oppressed. What you do for the poor. What you do for the marginalized. Not what you accumulate or hold on to, but what you give and share and serve and love. Amen? I'd like to invite up Pastor Hannah and the worship team. We're going to close with, I think, a familiar song, um, Forever Rain. that talks about the riches of God's goodness, the riches of God's love. And I pray that as we sing this song, that we are reminded that this God who's the God of all things, the God of all riches, all kingdoms, everything that we see, it's the same God that has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. So as we sing this song, as you go out this week, may you be challenged to think about how am I living with what I've got and all I've got to actually serve the Lord God Almighty, to serve my sister, to serve my brother. I'd like to also invite any of the pastors in the room up front. Um, We'd love to pray for you for anything that's going on, whether it's uh, in response to the service or maybe you have another prayer request that that you want to share. We'd love to pray for you for that as well. So let's stand and sing together. And As we sing, may we be reminded of God's riches, is his good, good love. Let's stand and sing together.
1: No, I'm running to Your arms. I'm running to Your arms. The riches of Your It's where My heart will sing No No other name will see no other name Jesus Jesus my heart will see no other name Jesus
0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We would love to see you at 3 p.m. at Pastor Linda's. I know we announced that in early uh, earlier in the service, but Baptism is really a gift and a blessing um, for, for those of you who've been to more than one wedding, right? You know, every time you go to a wedding, you think back about your own and you're, you feel good about it. I think baptism is, is actually more amazing than weddings because, like, it's, a, it's an entrance, right, uh, of someone saying, "I have uh, God has worked on the inside, right, and I want to show my, my community, my family, what, what God has done. But it's also this reminder that, you know, we're stepping into uh, uh, not only this church, right, but the whole church and, and Christian history and we're coming together to say we belong to one another. We pledge so so it's a it's a wonderful service. It's a short service. You know we have snacks, but but I really hope to see you guys at 3 p.m. Um, but but as we as we close this service, I just want us to be reminded that that this God of all wealth, right? And that the call of this God of all wealth is that I have blessed you to be a blessing. And the call of this God of all wealth is that we're using the riches He's given us not for our own but but for His glory. And that's what I want to send you out. right like the everything that God's blessed you with right that we're not fighting to hold on to it but we're fighting to share it right that we're not fighting to to corrupt that's not what I want you know what I mean we're not fighting to like wrap our arms around it right but we're fighting to actually open our arms and, and maybe link arms with one another right and I think this is the message of James right let us not be like the rich of the world Let us be like the rich of the goodness of our Father. Let us be rich like he is in love and mercy and comfort and grace, right? Let us be compassionate like our Father is compassionate. Let's pray together. Our God who helps us, who grows us, who challenges us, who calls us, Lord, who have blessed us, may we use each and every blessing. May we use each and every word that you put on our hearts and in our lips. May we use each and everything that we think of and that we do with our hands to be a blessing for our sisters and brothers, to be a blessing for our world, to be a blessing that makes your kingdom come. God, you've gifted us. So teach us to be people who serve. Teach us to be people who fight for justice, your justice. Teach us to be people who build our lives up to give not to hold on to. God of it all, help us to not only know that it all belongs to you, but help us know that we can give it back to you, and we can give it to our sister and our brothers too. So Lord, help us this morning, and as we go out, to be a people who are not only bound by your mercy and your grace and your love, but who are set free by your mercy and your grace and your love. And God, we ask forgiveness for letting the things of this world, the wealth that we have or don't have, the things that we have or that have us, we ask forgiveness for letting them keep us bounded for so long. Lord, set us free. Set us free to live. Set us free to give. Set us free to serve. Set us free to bless in your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.